This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. You, you, if you've been listening to the news tonight, today, Rick and Ted leading into the show tonight, other newscasts, if you've been online, you probably heard today about this story that honestly, the first time I heard it, I actually thought someone was pulling my leg because I thought there is no possible way, there is no chance on this planet that an educated person could possibly walk into a courtroom during a trial for someone who was feeding water to pigs that were in a truck and possibly draw even a remote comparison between this person giving water to pigs that were on their way to the butcher and Jews that were in cattle cars on their way to Auschwitz to be exterminated in the Holocaust. And yet, I've now looked at several online stories, several reports of this. I've been listening to the news. This happened. How in the how have we reached a point? How I don't even know where to start on this one because it is it is wrong on so many levels. It is so off that it's almost unfathomable that someone with a straight face, and I mean, uh, you, know, you wouldn't ever tell this as a joke because it would be so offensive, but that someone could walk into court and make some comparison between giving aid to pigs and giving aid to Jews who were about to be gassed in the gas chambers during the Holocaust. Now, the lawyer didn't say He didn't directly, I want to be clear, didn't say Jews and pigs were the same thing. But there was enough of, as soon as you raise the issue by saying giving aid to pigs in a truck is the same, is akin in some way to giving aid to imprisoned Jews is what what exactly could a person possibly be thinking when they when they come because lawyers don't generally that i know of anyway lawyers don't walk into court with a blank sheet of paper in front of them and th- say i don't know what i'm going to say today i'm just going to make it up on the fly these things are thought through these arguments are 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 worked on and somewhere in some office some lawyer decided it would be a good idea to argue for the rights of a woman who was on trial for whether you like the idea, whether you're an animal rights activist, whether you are sympathetic to animals, that's all good. That's fine. I've got no, you know, if you, if you believe in that, that's, that's okay. I can, I can hear your argument. I'm willing to listen to you saying I need to help animals. That's fine. That's okay. I may agree. I may not agree depending on what it is you're doing. That's not what we're talking about here. But the fact that someone could sit there and come up with an argument to present to a court of law that would in some ways draw parallels between giving water to pigs and giving water to Jews on their way to their death is just unbelievable. It is just unbelievable. I I can't fathom. And now he didn't stop there. This, of course... I think is the most egregious by far. This is the most egregious argument. But he also compared her acts of compassion to that of Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and Susan B. Anthony. I mean, this woman giving water to pigs. This woman wasn't giving water to pigs. I mean, she was the glorious second coming, apparently. It, it, is, it is unbelievable to me. But somehow, have we not 
Well, you know what? We haven't learned. That's, that's clearly what this is about because I cannot believe that, we, that anybody would have said this kind of thing about most groups. This would have been way too, people, somebody would have thought, you know what, I can't, I would never walk into court. I'm sure somebody would think this and say, this would be akin to me giving water to slaves on a slave ship coming over from Africa. Because we would know immediately, that's completely offensive and completely offline. How can I possibly compare slaves on a slave ship to pigs in a truck? That's, that's insane. That would be crazy. And yet, he did. He said that giving water to pigs on a truck heading to slaughter was an act of kindness similar to when people gave water to Jews transported on cattle trains during the Holocaust. I hope, I really, truly hope I'm not the only one who heard this and thought, this can't really have been honestly what he said. So I went back and started looking at different Twitter feeds because I thought, oh, maybe there's, maybe the reporter, and I read a number of stories, as I say, maybe the reporter didn't quite catch that correctly. Maybe there was a, a misspeak somehow. So a reporter, uh, Samantha Craggs from CBC Hamilton I asked Grill, that's the lawyer, to clarify his comments comparing the suffering of Jews to the suffering of pigs being slaughtered. My summary was accurate. She asked about it to make sure that she didn't misunderstand what he was saying. And he told her, according to a report on Twitter, that no, that, that's accurate. I think there's some comparisons there. I think there's some, some fair comparisons between helping Jews and helping pigs. Are we, are we serious? The, the, this, to me, is beyond the pale. And I'm not, look, I, I want to make a leap here because I'm not saying that one is the same as the other with what I'm about to say. But e- interestingly, today, in uh, down at Hamilton, I believe it was at the Hamilton police station is when the um, these things were released. Uh, hate crimes in the city are up a tiny bit this year. Now, I am not arguing that what he said is a hate crime. I'm not arguing that what he said constitutes a hate crime. I'm not saying it it will lead to hate crimes. None of that. What I am pointing out is what I find it very interesting that the most targeted group, the most targeted group, religious group in the city of Hamilton for hate crimes this year, interestingly enough, what do you think it would be? See, with the way the news has been lately, with everything we've heard, the immediate reaction would be, well, I would think that Muslims would be the most targeted group. Clearly, we now have a new Bill 130. Was it Bill M130 or whatever it's called that is going through the House of Commons because we have to specifically identify Islamophobia as the biggest problem. The, that's the biggest problem facing our country, that the people who are Muslims are being most picked on and most being biased against. And I'm not defending people who are being Islamophobic. But interestingly, no. The most number, the, the largest number of hate crimes reported this year involving religious groups was the Jewish community. We have a problem, apparently, that we don't want to, that we don't want to really identify. And I don't think it's a necessarily a problem that we are 
trying to be hateful. We don't seem to understand. We don't really get it. That, that, that can be my only belief. I choose to not believe that we are so callous that we are intentionally ignoring what happened back in the 1940s. I choose to believe that we're not intentionally setting out to make light and diminish what happened to 6 million Jews in gas chambers in the 1940s. It's got to be ignorance. It has to be. It's the same ignorance that over the last number of months, as Donald Trump has been running for office, when everybody says, oh, Donald Trump is like Hitler. I got no beef with you if you want to take issue with anything Donald Trump does. Anything. You can take, you can hate Donald Trump. You can point to this and this and this and this, and you can say he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's offensive, he's this, he's that. Donald Trump has no real similarities to Adolf Hitler. None. None. And anyone who throws up the Donald Trump is like Adolf Hitler is a mental weakling and an intellectual midget. There are no comparisons. And anyone who throws that up, that is the last vestige of a weak mind. Because everybody who disagrees with anybody vigorously enough always goes back to the, well, he's like Hitler. He's like Hitler. And this is the latest one. Completely diminishing, reducing making light almost of what the Jewish people went through. Donald Trump, hate him all you want. Donald Trump is not setting out to extinguish a people group and to kill six million people. You can disagree vigorously with his politics, but there is nothing along the lines of what Hitler did. They're not the same. They are not the same. And the next time someone makes the comparison between Donald Trump or any politician for that matter, and Adolf Hitler, call them on it because it's a ridiculous, insane argument. I have to believe that it's the same problem that is being faced here when you have people comparing pigs on a truck to Jews in a cattle car going to their slaughter. It's ignorance and it's a lack of recognition and it's not even trying. It's not even trying to understand. I, if I was Jew, I'm not Jewish, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, I'm not, I'm just saying that because somebody might think, well, you're just defending it because you're, you're Jewish. No, I'm not. But I think anybody who puts any thought into this or has even vaguely followed history and understands what's gone on would recognize the absolute insult and offensiveness of what a lawyer going to a courtroom and comparing Jews to pigs would be. Even if the comparison was not direct, even if it was just the act towards those people, that you can't escape the fact that there is a comparison there. He didn't say directly that Jews are pigs. I'm not saying he said that. But when you draw the comparison even a little way, it's, it is... What he's saying is the act of compassion is the same. Well, if the act of compassion is the same, that must mean that the, on the other side, the victimization is the same. Me helping someone up who has fallen a child, me helping a child who has fallen and scraped his knee off the sidewalk is not the same as me performing CPR on someone who's been hit by a car. I've helped both 
but the victimization, the level of victimization is not the same. So when I help up a little five-year-old boy who's fallen and scraped his knee, I don't think that people should look and say, oh, look what he did. That's remarkable. The same way if you saw someone get hit by a car and you jumped in and performed CPR and saved their life, that you would say, that's remarkable. Those are, if if you use the word remarkable in both those cases, the word doesn't mean anything. We give hero awards for acts of true bravery because, not because, partially because of what the person risked to do it, but also because of the magnitude of the victim at the other side. How much did you help? If the victim is not that, if it's not that big a deal, essentially, we don't see it as that big a deal. Now, you can be an animal lover. You can say these pigs were going to slaughter and therefore, again, we're not talking about whether or not we should be kind to animals here. We're not talking about whether we should be kind to animals. We are saying, he is saying that someone giving water to a pig in a truck is the same kind of compassion as giving water to Jews in a, in a car, in a train car going to Auschwitz. I'm couldn't believe it today. I really couldn't believe it. And I, I, I really trust that other people out there listening to this also found it stunning. And I really, really the, the, the decision on this trial was put off till sometime in May, I believe. Um, I really hope that the judge, when he comes forward with his ruling, makes some mention of this. I'm not arguing that the woman who's up for trial, on trial, wasn't showing some level of compassion. She clearly thought she was. She and, and if you were an animal lover, you would say she clearly was. But to compare the two, even loosely, even remotely, even in passing, to bring that example up, to say this is somehow akin to this, is just... I don't get it. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. It was announced today in Hamilton that the uh, Canadian Country Music Awards will be returning to this city for the sixth time, number six, sixth time in September of 2018, next September. Uh, It's the latest in a series of big musical events that we have had and are having annually in this city. And I thought it would be a good time to bring on a, uh, a friend of ours on the show here, a guy who is involved in Super Crawl. He's kind of the guy who started and got made Super Crawl what it is and be behind the Juno Awards and a whole lot of other things in this city. He's one of the driving forces of the arts community in this city. Uh, Tim Potasik joins us. Tim, how are you tonight? Great. How are you, Scott? I am very well, thank you, especially with this news today. It sounds like bringing back the Country Music Awards is a big deal. Uh, is it a big deal? <laughs> yeah, of course big deal um it's going to uh you know re uh reinvigorate uh downtown uh, for an entire week so um with uh, tons of music and, and venues and big venues and small venues on the street so yeah it's, uh, it's really great news now if i'm correct if it's based on this year will that be right in the middle of super crawl it'll be the weekend before Okay, so it'll be, so and we'll end up basically within two straight weeks of country or of music, big music things going on in the city. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be great. We've been 
uh, on the same weekend once before, and that was awesome, and we did some collaborative things together, and we will certainly be collaborating on doing some things um, together, uh, even with them being on separate weekends. They run right into one another as one finishes, the other one begins, and um, I can't wait to, uh, to put some creative thought to it and, and come up with some great uh, activations for both us uh, at Supercrawl and the Country Music Awards people. I was going to ask if the fact that they are now here and now involved, if that changes the kind of artists, the kind of acts that you might be going after for Supercrawl that year. Uh, we'll certainly add some country music for sure. We've done it in the past, like I said, when it was your last time, we uh, we booked some country bands to play on stages, and um, it was a huge success. I would like to have done more at the time, but we did what we could, um, you know, given the time constraints that we had. But this time we've got lots of time to think about it and uh, be creative and come up with ways to, uh, you know, sort of uh, marry the two um, the two things together and add that kind of country genre to Supercrawl. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to do it. And you know, we also we're in an anniversary year next year, Supercrawl's 10th anniversary. So there's just so many interesting fun fun elements that we can um, collaborate on. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I, I was, I mean, it, it seems as though the obvious answer is that it's fantastic that it's coming and with the timing and everything. Is there any chance that it becomes overkill that two straight weeks of a ma- of massive events like this is almost too much or, or does one le- lend itself to the other? Oh, I think they're totally, uh, it's a totally uh, great um, thing to have uh, two big events like that back to back. It just like, re- you know, uh, the city will get behind it. I know it, they've done it before and, uh, we're we're super excited, and we'll do interesting things to keep people motivated, to keep want, wanting to come out. So I um, I'm completely uh, I'm completely into it. You are you are a guy now. I don't know how many people I would put in your category. Very few who are as in touch with the music community and the music scene in this city. And here's the question that I'm hoping you can answer because it's always baffled me. We are an urban. Southern Ontario, in the shadow of Toronto, major city in this country, and yet we are also a massive, massive country music scene. When Garth Brooks was here, he had five concerts. I remember walking downtown when Carrie Underwood was here, and it looked like we were out in the farm. Everyone was in cowboy boots and dinner plate-sized belt buckles and all the rest. Why is Hamilton such a hotbed for country music? That's a a fine question. I don't know if I can answer it 100%. Correct, but um, I think you know part of it has to do with our you know blue collar roots. Um, part of it has to do with the fact that you know really Hamilton is um, eerily close to farmland. Really, I mean we're surrounded by you know everywhere you look, other than coming coming down the Toronto way. Um, you know, five minutes outside of town in every direction is farm country. So maybe that has a little bit to do with it as well. Um, but th- those are my best guesses at this point. Do we produce country singers here? I mean, we've, we've in recent years, I mean, we had the Arkells at, at First Ontario Centre. We know what kind of bands over the years we have produced and been very successful, but do we produce country artists? Uh, yeah, for sure we do. Um, you know, Americana, alt country, uh, pure country. I mean, we have Tim Hicks, right? Like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Tim's from Hamilton. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a country superstar at this point in Canada. So yeah, we're certainly producing it and supporting it and, um, it's there. Like there's so many 
other subgenres of music that are also, um, you know, populating out of our city on many, many different levels. But yeah, for 100%, I think Hamilton, you know, in general, punches above its weight in all categories with respect to music in the country. And just for those people, Tim, who don't really know what the Country Music Awards are, this this is essentially the country music version of the Juno. So anyone in this country who is a big country star for that week will be in Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, everybody. Um, they'll all be here. So it's the one unique thing when you get these, um, you know, genre-specific award shows is that that community will support it wholeheartedly. So um, expect to see, you know, basically all our superstars and you probably, you know, for sure see some from uh, some international stars up to perform for the show and being honored with awards as well. So it's uh, it's a pretty exciting time for anybody who's into country music for sure. And I mean, when you were you were very involved in the Juno Awards that were here last la- was it last year or the year before? Now I can't even remember when it was. Um, I know I can't either. Okay, but ago. recently. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Every once in a while, you'd be at a bar, or you'd be at some place, and somebody, some big name, would pop up, and all of a sudden, they'd either be on the stage or doing whatever. Uh, reasonable to expect that over that week, that may happen. If you're out around in town, there may be somebody who's a big name country music star who's suddenly singing along at some place, and uh, where you least expect. A hundred percent. I mean, this is the one thing about, uh, you know, music that is, um, you know, unique to, uh, to that industry is that, uh, you know, people like to collaborate and people love to, uh, you know, they love to be in front of audience. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And the reality is that even uh, a superstar at one point in time played to, uh, you know, zero people at a club <laughs> yeah. at some point in their career, right? We, everybody's been there, and it's not a stretch for somebody to come back and play in a small room, uh, you know, and collaborate with some other artists or do a show uh, because, you know, they'll find that's really, it's fun. It's just as fun to play to, you know, 20 people in a bar as it is to play to 20,000 people in an arena for, for a lot of artists. Hey, the Beatles started in the Cavern Club, right? So, I mean, it's... Right. Uh, um, okay, I, I mentioned Super Crawl, and there's a tie-in because of the timing of this. There was another big announcement this week, and that was that the Minister of Tourism was here, Eleanor McMahon, and she was giving out, handing out $19 million for festivals all around the province. Um, some cynical people might look at that and say, oh, there must be an election coming up because money is flying around, which is true. But anyway, um, but that doesn't mean that you don't want to take the money and you don't want to do something with it. And Supercrawl is getting an extra roughly half a million dollars. So what does what will Supercrawl be able to use that money for? Because the, the wording behind it was it'll make Supercrawl bigger and better. How will that, what will it do? How will that help? Uh, well, I mean, it's certainly, it's a, the funds and the money that we received, it, it's um, it's a bonus in a way because it's, that money is delivered to us over two years. So it's split in half and one year we get half of it and the next year we get the other. So it makes us, um, it gives us instant stability for not having to, we don't have to write the grant for the next year. So we know that we already know that we have that income coming in. Celebrate is a supporter of us and uh, festivals in Ontario generally. I mean, this announcement was, particularly good because they've increased their funding um but uh, they still have always you know been and give they've supported money so the cynical people out there that think it's because of political reasons <laughs> they're wrong they've been giving money to festivals for you know decades and and will continue to it's just um you know a unique time because it's canada's 150 and they up their their 
funding a little bit uh, for this year. So, uh, and we're lucky recipients of uh, some additional funding. But they've they've supported our festival for five years now, and it's been we've got a great relationship with them. So, I mean, we, you know, to get to the answer of the question, we will use the money, and we certainly will grow. It's going to allow us to do some additional programming. It's going to allow us to create some bigger stages, um, like physically uh, from a production perspective, up our production budget so our stages will be, um, you know, have more lights and sound better, um, be bigger, and we'll be able to, you know, afford um, on some level some some larger acts, which is going to be great. Um, And we're already working on that now. So certainly will allow us to, you know, do a, have a bigger, bigger impact. I will endeavor to tamp down my cynicism because I, I am one of those <laughs> so cynical people. Cynical I, yeah, okay. I'm, listen, I'm one of them. I admit it, I am. <laughs> but how much bigger can Supercrawl reasonably get? I mean, you could make it as big as you want. I mean, it could take over the whole city. But for, for you to be able, and the people behind it, to be able to keep it as a big, huge event while also in some ways... I don't know if the word is intimate. Is intimate the right word for it? I don't know if it is anymore. But how big would you want this to actually get in time? Well, I mean, we're uh, extremely happy. I mean, as every every year has gone by with the size of the festival. It's huge, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I mean, we continue to, like, tweak it and do things to make it more palatable and fun for people to be at, uh, improve our programming to the best of our abilities, and, and, you know, do all those things to move it forward, and we'll continue to do that. As far as like you know attendance, obviously you know we don't we wouldn't mind if it continued to grow, and we continue to grab more people and more tourists to come into the city. Uh, that's important to us. Um, it's you know it's not an it's, it is a priority. It's not a number one priority. We certainly understand the management logistics of growing and growing too fast and growing too big. Um, so you know we are always conscious of footprint and what we're doing but what we're we always do baby steps right we're always trying to move the festival forward in a way that makes it um, manageable and palatable and and great for people um, attending it we want everybody to have an incredible experience so uh, we certainly feel like there's growth to be had but do we think it, it will ever be like you know double what it is now no I don't I don't think so I mean we've always had some you know lofty you know, goals down the road that we thought we can get to, and we've already hit them and surpassed them. So um, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. We can always expand geography a little bit, but we we are also conscious of the fact that yeah, we want it to be an experience and not get too big, so that that it affects the experience. And I think we're in a real sweet spot right now, and uh, I'm pretty happy with where we are. And small tweaks and small growth at this point would be. You know, welcome for sure. With the size of it, though, now and with the way it's grown and with the attention it gets, there was a time, I'm guessing, when you had to go and scour the corners of the earth to find acts to play. Are you constantly bombarded now by people, either acts themselves or management or other people, saying, hey, can we come and play in Supercrawl? Are you now getting approached by everyone as opposed to the other way around? Yeah, it definitely has shifted. I mean, it was a lot of asking friends for favors in the early days, for sure. Uh, it wasn't so much, you know, begging people to play as, as much as it was uh, asking friends to do favors for us that, you know, they didn't necessarily need to do but wanted to be part of the community and try and grow something new. So uh, it was collaborative in that way. 
Um, but now, yeah, I mean, it's certainly I'm getting my door pounded down by a lot of people. <laughs> so uh, from all angles, like local people all the way to, you know, some of the bigger agencies, well, all the agencies in Canada and some of the bigger agencies in the U.S. So it's nice, certainly nice. Uh, it makes it gives different challenges to have to deal with. I was going to say, is that easier because you don't have to look for them now or is it harder because you have to turn some people down and say, sorry, we can't take you? Um, it's, it's, you know, it's just a different type of uh, management, I guess. And on some levels it's harder and some levels it's easier. It just depends. I mean, it definitely is given us more options that's for sure and that that's never a problem right the more options you have the better and it'll allow us to you know to do unique things and program unique uh, you know a unique festival a more unique festival moving on as every year goes by tim potasik the guy who runs super crawl and is one of if not the main music drivers in this city tim i appreciate the time today thanks for doing this yeah thanks scott uh, lots of, I mean, as I said right off the top, this city, there is no shortage of music stuff going on. This is really becoming one of the hotbeds of music in this country between the Junos, which we had a couple of years ago, and the Country Music Awards coming back for the sixth time. And as I said, Garth Brooks selling out five shows last summer, and Paul McCartney and the Arkells just, well, not the, sorry, and Arkells, got to say it right every time, and Arkells at First Ontario Centre. This is this is one of the hotbeds right now, music, and of course, Super Crawl, which is one of the highlights every year, and the big drawers to the downtown. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff going on. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Last night, out in British Columbia, in Victoria, British Columbia, there was an awards banquet. And at said awards banquet, a Hamilton athlete who plays for McMaster, who had last week, or a week and a half ago, been named the best female basketball player in Ontario University basketball, was named the top player in all of Canada. And it was, amazingly, the first ever McMaster female to win this award. Danielle Boyago is the person who won that, and she joins us now from BC. Danielle, congratulations. Hey, Scott. Thanks very much. You, when you headed out there, you knew you were going to win, didn't you? No, I didn't, actually. <laughs> Teresa, uh, Coach Burns knew, but she'd kind of kept it from me, so I didn't know. But you'd had the kind of, you had to at least have thought that the kind of year you'd had made you a legitimate contender for this. Uh, I knew there was a possibility, yeah, but there's also a lot of other good players up for the award, so you never know what's going to happen in sport, right? Well, uh, sadly, yes. We'll get to that in just a second. But mm-hmm. I- I'm shocked, and I don't know if you are, because you are a Hamilton woman. Uh, I'm shocked that no other McMaster female player has ever won this before, because there have been a lot of great players at this school. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's crazy. You... um you mentioned about anything can happen in sports. I mean, it's been a remarkable year for you, but I'm kind of guessing that the fact that you're out there for an award banquet and to get an award uh, and then have to go and actually watch the tournament rather than playing in it after what happened last weekend has got to be a little bit difficult for you. Yeah, it's a little bit tough. You always want to go back to that Carlton game, don't you? Well, um, I, I hate to do it. It's, it's, but it, <laughs> you're, I mean, you're out there by yourself as opposed to with your team, and, and that, you know, that was a bit of a surprise. Honestly, it was. It was a bit of a shock. Yeah, for us, definitely. I'd much rather have my team here with me. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't in the cards for us this year, but 
I'm so very proud of our team and all that we've accomplished. Is it, though? I mean, I'm assuming you've actually been to some of the games because they've started there. Have you been to any of the games, and is it hard to sit there and watch? Yeah, it is. I was just at um, a couple of the games earlier this afternoon. It's it's tough knowing that we could easily compete with the teams that are in this tournament, not saying, not taking away from um, the teams that are playing, but I just know that with our group, um, how talented and how special we are, we could definitely be competing with these teams. So, yeah, it is hard to watch. Walk me through something that I'm really, uh, I mean, I'm totally impressed by, but I don't know how this has exactly happened. Uh, you, right now, just as of last night, were named the top women in Canadian university basketball, as I said. Down in the States, uh, Kia Nurse is arguably one of, if not the top women playing in NCAA basketball with University of Connecticut, with UConn. Uh, she is from Hamilton. At Redeemer, in the top female basketball player in Ontario in the college ranks is playing in Hamilton at Redeemer. That's uh, Jess Brown. What is going on with this city right now with girls' basketball? Uh, we've said it for a long time. Hamilton is definitely a hotbed for women's basketball and just the amount of club teams that we have growing up in the systems. And, um, yeah, just such high quality of basketball here in Hamilton. It's really nice to see, and it's really nice to see people get rewarded for that. But aren't there a lot of great club teams elsewhere? I mean, Toronto surely must have great club teams as well and and the suburbs of Toronto and other places there must be other places that can put out good players it just seems like right now all the top players are from around here (laughs) must be something about that Hamilton water (laughs) well it could be but I mean is there anything is there something more than that is there something that Hamilton and then you've seen it because you've been in it but do the club teams here do something different um, no, not necessarily. I, I just think that um, for girls growing up in Hamilton, they do have role models like Kia Nurse, and they do aspire to be like that. And they, they see, well, you know what, she grew up in Hamilton, and look where she is now. So it's kind of motivation, and it shows young girls that they could be just like that. And I think having those role models for our Hamilton youth um, definitely helps increase the level of play here. Have you recognized that you are one of them then? Because it's sort of weird when you've been looking up to people and then all of a sudden you're one of the ones who the kids are looking up to. But has that dawned on you that you're one of those role models now? Uh, You make me sound old now. Well, no, Um, but but it is different. though. You walk into a gym in high school now or in a club team and people know who you are. The young girls in basketball know who you are. Yeah, it it definitely is um, very humbling, and I am really blessed with all that I've been given, and the Hamilton community has been behind me 100%, and I think to those girls, um, just know that like nothing is impossible, and keep working hard, I guess. You are a guard. Well, many people are not going to know this. They probably know who you are. They know who Kia Nurse is. Many people aren't going to know you and she, and this is almost unfair, you guys were backcourt partners at St. Thomas More in your last year of high school. The other teams must have hated it when you guys walked in. Yeah, we had lots of fun there. There's honestly, there's a lot of games where I would just, I wouldn't even have to cross half court because I could just toss the ball up to Kia. She would sprint, run, take a layup, and we'd be back on defense. Uh, yeah, yeah th- we had tons of fun. When you look at where you two have gone, um, I don't know that anyone could have seen that back in high school, but man, that, that sounds like a team that was just entirely stacked. Yeah, we did. We won also that year, so it was definitely a successful season. We had lots of other great, great players on our team as well, so it wasn't just the two of us, but we definitely had a complete team. I would, felt bad for the teams that we were playing against. Yeah, so yeah I would have too. Yeah, I would have too. You know, you never want to have too much compassion in sports. You don't want to be too nice to them, but I, there might have been some moments, I'm guessing, when you were up by 40 or 50 points when you were feeling a little bad for them. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, you just finished your fifth year, so you're done at Mac now. 
is there basketball in your future? Yes. Um, I'm definitely looking to pursue a career possibly overseas, but um, definitely some coaching I can see in my future for sure. I'm not ready to let go of the game yet, and I think I still have a little bit more to give. So I'm looking forward to what's next. Well, we are too, because you know what? You have been, uh, you've been a great player at McMaster, and as I say, to cap it off with a first-ever McMaster female national player of the year, that's a, that's a huge honor, and uh, well done, Danielle. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Scott. We will, uh, that, that's Danielle Boyago, who is actually out in BC right now just watching the Nationals. Again, they, if, if you were, had missed what I was talking about, Mac lost last weekend in an upset at the provincials and that cost them in the semifinals and that cost them a spot in the nationals, which was, it was shocking because they were the top team in the country and it was a one point loss and it was, it was, it could have gone either way. And the last shot, in fact, hit the back of the rim, clanged around in the basket and popped out and that cost them their chance to go there. So a little heartbreaking, but at least last night it made it a little bit better with the, uh, with that award. Now I want to jump to a second McMaster story right now, very quickly from the sports world, because Tomorrow night at McMaster at Burridge Gym, the Ontario Men's Provincial Volleyball Championships semifinals will be played out. The finals come up on Saturday. Uh, This is the fifth consecutive year that the playoffs will be held at McMaster, which is remarkable because the playoffs are held at the home school of the team that finishes first. So that means five straight years Mac has finished in first place. Uh, the head coach of this team, who was just, he's the newly minted Ontario Coach of the Year, found out today for the fourth time, Dave Preston is now the Ontario Volleyball Men's Coach of the Year. Uh, congratulations, Dave. Thanks, God. I appreciate it. You, um, when I mentioned the fact that you guys are hosting now for the fifth straight year, uh, I know you have very high expectations, but that's that's a pretty remarkable achievement, leaving alone the fact that you've won the provincial championship the last four years to host it for four years and now five years in a row. That's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, our guys have really worked hard for that. And uh, as amazing as it is, um, I, you know, they, they've put a lot of effort into that. And uh, every year at the beginning of the year, we talk about trying to secure as much home court advantage as we can through the playoffs. And every year they've risen to the occasion. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a feat that I think when they graduate and they're, old and grumpy like me, they'll look back and go, wow, that, that was kind of neat. Well, you've got four guys who are in their fifth year, so it's their final year, and they've played at home in the provincial f- championship every single one of their years. That's, again, that's, I don't think, has that ever been done before? I, I don't know. I'm, 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 uh, I'm not a stickler for the record, so I don't know, but uh, if it has, it probably hasn't been done that often. I mean, I know part of, a lot of this, a lot of this team being built and over the year and being turned into the kind of team it is, you are a very good recruiter, but that can't hurt either when you walk into someone's living room and you say, hey, look what McMaster has done. Why don't you come play for us? That, that can't be a detriment when you pitch the team. No, it's, it's been actually very helpful, Scott. Um, you know, when, uh, especially for the, the local kids, the Ontario kids whose parents want to see them play and they want to be a part of their development. And, you know, the, the ages between 17 and 22 are very formative years for young men. And uh, so when their parents and families can kind of share that development, it's, uh, it, it, it's very exciting for, for the players, but it's equally as exciting for the families that are involved. 
Tomorrow night, this weekend, as I said, is are the provincials. Uh, people can go by tomorrow night. The game is at 8 o'clock against Ryerson. But um, this is a huge weekend, and for, tomorrow night especially is a huge night for you guys because if you win tomorrow night, you get an invitation to the Nationals. With the kind of program that you've built, is that the minimum expectation now every year that we are going to make it to the national playdowns? Yeah, we don't qualify the expectations or the goals. We just set them and then try and achieve them in the order that they're presented. So as I mentioned before, Scott, one of the things we want to do first is secure as much home court advantage as we can uh, throughout the playoffs, and, and that's step one. And, and they achieve that, and actually this year with a, an undefeated record in 17-0 in league play. So, uh, and then the next one is to challenge for a provincial championship. So um, if you challenge for your provincial championship and you win your provincial championship, then you automatically get a berth international. So our focus is on the provincial championship. Our focus is on the OUA championship, and in order to get to the championship, you got to win your semi. So we try not to look too far forward. We try not to get caught up in the consequences, the outcomes of match. We just take each match as it is in front of us. And I know it sounds cliche, but that's what they do. That's what they've been doing for a long time. That's what that's why they're successful. Um, but they'll take care of that semi. The only reason why that Ontario gets another berth is because these guys won a silver medal last year. So the berths are allocated in men's volleyball for U Sport on retroactive uh, from the previous championship, Scott. So last year's medalists, each conference gets an additional berth. So the reason why two teams from Ontario go this year is because the McMaster boys won a silver medal last year, so two teams get to go. So the consequence of tomorrow night's match is, is a berth to Nationals, uh, but more importantly, it's a step stone to the, to the second goal that these guys want to achieve, and that's to challenge for an Ontario championship. Well, and, and the other thing that, you know, I know you have to have somewhere in your mind. It's not maybe front of mind right now because the Ontario Championship is up first, but you guys have been to the last four Nationals. You've won two silver, you've won two bronze. Uh, you've been very, very close. Personally, as a coach, as a guy who's competitive, how much does, or at all, does it eat at you that before you're done, somewhere along the way, I got to get a gold medal. I mean, we've been we've been right there. It's been you work so hard at this all year long. Does it? Is that something? That's got to be something that drives you. It definitely drives me. I don't know if it eats at me though, um, and I don't think it eats at the guys. It, it's definitely a motivator for us. Uh, we're just going to continue to give ourselves a chance to compete, and and I think as long as you continue to do that, at some point you break through, right? But. Uh, I, I think when you start to focus on it too much, and, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before, Scott, about the difference between need to and want to, and, and these guys really want to win a national championship. And, you know, we know that the steps that are required to get there, and we don't want to overlook those. Uh, there's lots of teams that want to win a national championship. So uh, we know the steps. We're familiar with it. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I, you know what? I sleep fine at night knowing that we continue to give ourselves guys, our, our guys, a chance year in and year out. And I think that's a big thing. Like, yes, I would like to win a national championship before I hang them up. But am I going to, you know, beat myself up if we don't? I don't think so. You know, I, I, I think the competitiveness in me at some point, maybe the older I get, the more rationalized, rational I get. I don't, I don't know how that works, Scott, but um, 
we really want one and there's no doubt about it. And we work hard every day to get to that spot. But, um, all in all, I think when, when we look back at it, uh, the caliber of the student athletes that we're developing, the kids that are either playing pro or going on to medical school or chiropractic or law or whatever they're doing, that's the real challenge or that, that I guess, sorry, that's the real benefit that I think, uh, at least in Canadian sport, that uh, you derive from that too. What is, we only have a minute or two left here, but at this level, because you guys play, and, and I've reminded people of this a few times, you guys have played the NCAA U.S. College champion. Uh, you played Ohio State at home this, this year and swept them. You guys are as good a volleyball team, and Canada at the top of the volleyball food chain is as good as anything in North America. It's not. This is not one of those sports that the American college teams would crush us every time. It's quite the contrary. But at this level, at this high level, when you get into the McMasters, the Albertas, the Trinity Westerns, the really elite teams, what is it that separates gold from silver from bronze at that point? Really, it's matchup, Scott, and I think it's probably the same in any sport, right? So each team kind of has their strength. Each team has their, their vulnerability and how you can match up and, uh, and how you can kind of you know, uh, attack the vulnerabilities of the other team and how you can, uh, you know, stop teams from trying to attack yours. And, and sometimes it's just matchup, whether it's serving and passing, but all those teams that you mentioned, including the ones that are in this weekend, uh, Waterloo and Guelph and Ryerson, they're all just so fundamentally sound that it takes a long time to get at those weaknesses. You got to wear them down and, and that's difficult to do. So you need the physical capacity to wear them down and then you got to match up and, uh, and that's what a lot of, you know, the casual fans don't see is the, the individual matchups at the net and the individual matchups from the serving line. And, uh, and those are the ones that uh, you have to focus on because the whole thing really is going to come down to a couple of points, um, you know, a, a point here, a point there. And uh, that's, that's oftentimes the difference. Uh, you know, I look at back at that Trinity Western final last year, uh, Steve Marr hits that serve at the third set and we're up 2-1 instead of down 2-1 and the world's a different place. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's one shot, the one that clanged off the rim, right, the serve to hit the net. It's one shot. Tomorrow night, uh, 8 o'clock, you guys, as I say, play in the semifinal against Ryerson. That's a Burge gym. People can go watch that. Uh, and then Saturday, hopefully, uh, you guys will be playing in the provincial final if Friday goes well, which most people think it will or at least has a very good chance to. And that would also be at 8 o'clock if you guys are in the provincial final. Dave, good luck tomorrow and good luck on Saturday. Hey, Scott, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate the support. That is Dave Preston, the coach of the year for men's volleyball in Ontario University Sports. And as I've said, and I've told you this before, and you probably think that I'm on the payroll, I'm not. I don't get anything from them, and that's fine. There is one sport in Canadian university athletics that consistently can play a team sport. There are individuals, of course, but in team sports, there is one sport that Canadian universities play that consistently can and do beat up on the U.S. college teams in the same sport, and that is volleyball, men's volleyball in particular. And there's lots and lots of reasons for that, but most 99.99999% of Canadian university men's basketball teams would go down and play the top U.S. men's basketball teams and get shellacked. It's just the reality. Many 
well, our baseball teams are pick your other sports. They would go down, and because of scholarships and a lot of other things, it would be very difficult for them to hold their own. It's just a different world. Volleyball is unique, and probably there are four or five teams in Canada right now, and you could look, Mac would be in that mix, Trinity Western would be in that mix, Alberta would be in that mix, there's a few others, that if they were in the NCAA, if they were in the U.S. college ranks, would be in the top five or six or seven teams in the States. That's how high the level of volleyball is here. And if you've never seen a live men's volleyball game at this level, honestly, you're missing something because it does not look the same on TV. It is, it, is, it is the highest level that you'll find on this side of the ocean. They have pro over in Europe. We don't really have much pro here, but well worth a look if you are looking for something to do tomorrow evening. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.